genre. Welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Return of the King, one horrible fall down some stairs at a time. I'm Norman Mitchell. <laughs> Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. <laughs> and today we're talking about Minute 132, which starts with Frodo uh, pulling his feet away from the bones on the ground and ends with Sam finding the discarded Lemba spread. Yes. And just going on a face journey into next minute. Yes. Um, I can't do five minutes of this. I can't. I can't. I can't. You're on your own, buddy. Um, the. I like the music. The music key is very effective. Oh, uh, it's straight out of a out of a horror movie. Yeah, it's, it's very good. um, it's very Hitchcockian. Is that even a word? It, it is, is now. now. This is just Peter Jackson going to his roots. Yeah, yeah. Um, isn't he afraid of spiders? Yes, he this hates is, them. Okay, validation. Um, and I yeah, because I feel like he's tapped into this like visceral fear of just being stuck in this place that's just covered with webs. Um, the bones are um. Oh, really creepy. Speaking, so speaking of the bones and like the set dressing in the webs, you yeah. know, the bird. Yeah, that's not a that's not a like a fake prop. That's a real taxidermied bird. Ew, ew, ew. There are apparently multiple real taxidermied small animals no. dressed into this. No, set. no, 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 no. What kind of bird is it? A magpie? Uh, I don't think they say they didn't say in the commentary. And I don't even know how to begin to try to figure that out. Is it I a am, local I, New Zealand bird? Probably, but I'm I'm uh, I'm not very brushed up on my ornithological studies, Cassandra. <laughs> I I don't I don't have a clue. I don't. Yeah, I'm like, wow, look at that bird. Like that's the. Oh wow, what a good looking bird. That's the extent where's, of where's my. Where's David Attenborough to tell me everything I need to know <laughs> right? about it? Where's my 13 episode series about birds? <laughs> the life of birds. That's some riveting television. Man. It is. I'm not so even good. joking. The episode about uh, the episode about albatross, magnificent. <laughs> I'm sad Netflix doesn't have that on there anymore. Is, uh, I know, uh, just everything that David Attenborough has ever narrated. It's so soothing, but like, um, okay. Anyway, I, I don't not know. to not to just be like, oh, by the way, that's a real dead bird. <laughs> I thanks. I hate it. Like. <laughs> no no also why does she what what use does she have for birds she's a big big girl right she didn't eat that why it just, she, it's stuck in here i it guess just got stuck in it here. just got stuck that's so sad that's so sad it just got stuck and then died yep no or maybe there's like a basketball sized spider that caught that bird like a baby? Like a baby Shelob? Yeah. Okay, I know that Shelob's descendants are a thing. Like, um, the spiders in Mirkwood are her... Are, um, they're, like, her distant cousins. They're also... Are they 
cousins or are they like her descendants? I don't know. I don't think they're her descendants. I'd have to. Because they all come from what? Ungolian? Yeah, they're all descended from Ungolian, the first evil giant spider. And Ungolian was a a lady, right? But but they refer to Shelob as the last daughter of Ungolian. Is Ungolian a lady spider? uh, Yes. Or she is. uh, Ungolian is referred to as a she. Oh, okay. But Ungolian is uh, some ancient. Ancient unknown evil, yeah. primeval force. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah, even like Melkor was afraid of Ungolian, right? So, like the the force that Ungolian represents isn't even necessarily evil in in concept. It's just entropy. It's it's just chaos. It's not even chaos. It's just the natural degradation of things, black holes, the void, the space between. Like that's that's what Ungolian is. That's what she seems to represent that's in the mythos. Badass. So just the idea of what Ungoliant like probably represents metaphorically isn't even necessarily evil. Well, okay. In, but Ungoliant is greedy. In a mythos that's based on like a, de- a singular deity making order of the universe through song, I feel like the mere existence of entropy and chaos and the void, like silence is in direct conflict with that. Right. So if if Iluvatar is good, not to get well, yeah, we're going full philosophy on, right. <laughs> on a Tuesday morning. Um, so if if Eru is seen as this force of good and light and and whatever, then Ungoliant is its opposite. I mean, in in general, order is seen as good and chaos is seen as evil. Right. Like in a in a really general sense. Yeah. When it comes to most religious structures i guess yeah um so on its own entropy is not evil but in the concept in the um the framework of this mythology that tolkien has um created right um you know heavily influenced by his um catholic upbringing yeah um and his belief like yeah See, shit's, I'm a, shit's evil Norman. <laughs> i'm a fan of the idea that ungolian is uh is separate from and a byproduct of the creation of the universe and is separate from this order because Melkor is explicitly evil and Ungolian is some step beyond how he perceives the universe to work. And he was there at the beginning. Yeah. Which makes Ungolian frightening in the alien unknown way. way. Yeah. But Ungolian is, is just greedy. So. But greed is like, but greedy in the way a black hole is is greedy. Yeah. But Not like, because it is an active force of greed, but because its only purpose is to consume. But even like, even if you frame it as hunger, like gluttony and avarice are two of the seven deadly sins. Right. They are two, but they are, those are impulses taken to extreme. That's right. how they become the sin. That would be Ungoliant though. Impulse, Beyond... An impulse taken to an extreme. A black hole is hunger incarnate. Right, but it's not. It's not hunger beyond need because there is no need. There's no concept of need, right, in regards to a black hole. So I, it's not a, it's not gluttony if it's not beyond need. It's outside of such a framework. I'm saying what I guess what I'm saying. That's what I'm getting at. What I'm saying is, though Ungoliant might have started off as just this outside force. Um, I think also because she is, um, she is unknowable and un- untamable, um, by, uh, like, Eru's design. Yeah. That would make her, in the framework of that mythology, 
evil. Right. Melkor was just like, oh, what are you? Some big, big, deep, dark monster in a hole. Cool. Do you want to wreck those things? Do you want to hang out? <laughs> do you want to consume the power over there? And Golian's like, yeah, I could eat. Yeah, I'm hungry. Sweet. It's cool. And then it's a date. <laughs> she gets done doing that. And then she's just like, you know what else is like powerful and tasty looking? You. Yeah. And Melkor's like, hang on. You slow your roll. <laughs> this is not what I signed up hey, for. Hey, man. Female spiders. Damn. Ladies got to eat. <laughs> Dinner and a movie. Right. <laughs> Melkor is just absolutely just pants wettingly terrified <laughs> because he doesn't know what this thing right? is, Ooh, where yikes. it came uh. from. And he just saw it casually dismantle and consume some of the Valar's purest expression of their power. Yeah. The trees, right? Yeah. Is it the lamps or the, the lamp, trees? The lamps. The lamps? Yeah, the lamps. Okay. Lamps first, then trees? Yes. The trees were expressions of the lamps previous light. Right, right, right. And the trees let out light of their own. I love that the Valar are just like, man, you remember those lamps? Those were dope. Let's make some trees that glow in the dark, too. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll put two of them. They'll be closer together. They'll only shed light over this part of the world that we can keep an eye on and protect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, if in the framework of a, um, like a good, a very stark good and evil, like, religious... Um, right, anything outside of that is, is othered and evil. Right, like yeah. seen as evil. Yeah, but like, I don't want to know what kind of bird this is. This is so scary. But like, I'm I'm just talking about like in the in the sense that it's unknowable. It's it's hard to really call it evil because it's it's outside of the structure of your thinking. Like to to other it and call it evil is like the problem with those sorts of thought structures. Right, but I feel like that thought structure that that belief um is pervasive in return of the uh, uh, lord of the rings yeah and the others the, the the others outside of the 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 civilized world right are all shown as evil or having been corrupted by evil because they don't have the same uh like historical influence or heritage right. of the people that were influenced by the Numenorean yeah. kingdoms. Yeah, like look at the um the way Gondor and like the world views like the men of the east and the south. Yeah, that's uh And then all the all the racists that were descended from Numenorians went south and became the pirates as we talked with, right. with Bob about yeah. last week. So that um that, I think, is not just a cultural Gondorian, Numenorian thing. I think that whole thing is pervasive throughout. Because, like, elves are kind of like that, too. Right, but they're also they're also influenced by the same root influence that uh, created the Numenorian kingdom. Yeah. Because they're all, they're all, those, the, the civilizations in this, this story that root themselves back to uh, Valinor in some fashion are the civilizations painted as good. And then the civilizations that have separated themselves from that are the civilizations that are painted as evil. Right. So if you are outside of the Valar and the Valar's, you know, mighty deific parent, like... Right. But they're all painted as evil 
in part because they've turned their back on it in some way, not because they started as other. Because all of the men of Middle Earth and all of the all of the beings of Middle Earth, except for orcs, came from Iluvatar's plan. Right. So the the only true others outside of that plan, uh, I guess, are dwarves. But they were also created in a in a benevolent way by one of Iluvatar's children. Right. Um, so really the, the only, the only others are the orcs because they were created for Maleficent purposes outside of Iluvatar's plan. Yeah. So they're, they're the true, uh, they're the true othered people of Middle Earth. The rest of them are painted as people that kind of actively turned their back on what came from Numenor and Valinor and the things that the elves and the men of Numenor believed in, or at least the good men of Numenor, because there were people in Numenor that were twisted turned their back on on the valar and wanted to go fight god yeah uh. <laughs> hey man as you do attack and dethrone god <laughs> melkor <laughs> yes um but you know you know, you see what i'm saying though about oh. mongolian yeah yeah for sure yeah i i just i i uh, I, I just feel like because I'm someone that's just really always been interested in philosophy, I feel it's really important to highlight that like there are there are problems with that kind of that kind of thinking. Right. That's yeah. That's what I'm saying. But yeah. like, you know, and in, I, the, I, I like in the, the structure of the narrative. Right. But I, I I think it's good to look at it from uh, from that out from an outside the narrative perspective when it comes to what Ungoliant seems to represent because I think that's what makes Ungoliant so interesting. Mm. Uh, and Shelob, in the same way, being referred to as the last child of Ungoliant, carries some amount of what it is that Ungoliant represents. Shelob isn't... I wouldn't necessarily say that Shelob is evil. Not the way that she's shown in the movie. Uh, Shelob is shown with a very particular kind of of malice in the her depiction in the book. But in the movie, Shelob just seems to be a giant hungry like a, spider. Like a mindless Just spider. an animal. Yeah. yeah. So... It's hard to call something that's presented as just kind of a big, hungry animal as evil from outside the narrative. Yeah. But seeing that Shelob is harmed by what we're going to, well, the, what we're going to see, like the light of Arendelle, like tells us that she's evil in some way or yeah. created by evil. So there's give and take there. Right. Outside of that, um, Fran and Philippa uh, in the commentary kind of make a joke um that they uh they see Shelob as the only non-idealized woman in Tolkien's writing. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Holy crap. Oh my god. <laughs> She's like big and ugly and lumbering about and all she wants to do is sleep and eat. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then they're both like we both kind of relate to her really. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it made me laugh out loud when I was listening to the Oh my god. Dude. Yeah. No, I, I I really appreciate the fact that this this movie was written by two women. Because like yeah. We've talked about Tolkienian women before. Yeah. At length. Yeah. Um I definitely 
100% believe that it made these movies better. Yes. To, to have two women in the writer's chair. Yes. Because um, it's already kind of a bro fest. But right. like... I mean, they, they made sure to where they could highlight the impact of the that the women in the story do have, even if it's not a focus of the way the books are written. Yeah. Um, also, I think it's it's not surprising, um, but it's interesting to note from like a, you know, um, a patriarchal um, theology standpoint that like Eru is called a he and Ungoliant, this um, mass of dark entropy and, and chaos and whatever is explicitly feminine. Right. So, like, mm. right. Side eyeing that real hard. It, it, like, it's it's interesting to me from that too. Just in that, Fran and Philip are kind of right. Every other woman in Tolkien is some idealized force for good. Yeah. And Ungoliant is the only one that isn't. And then Shelob, uh, yeah. who is tangentially just part of Ungoliant's thing. So, like, I, I, I think that that's interesting, too, to single out Ungoliant in that way, to just be like, but, so there's all of these, which are, like, stereotyped feminine oracle or oracle types, except for Eowyn, but I, Tolkien, I think that was just accidental. Eowyn is, um, like, uh, Eowyn's the, like, the virtuous maiden, um, uh, it's, it's, it's like Joan of Arc. Right. Less but, of a holy warrior, more of like an actual warrior. Right. Yeah. But it's the it's the same thing. Her her her, Joan her of virtue Arc, is what gives her power. I mean Joan of Arc is um I would argue that Joan of Arc is more of an oracle anyway, because she had visions. Right. I'm the way that we in popular culture, the way Joan of Arc is typically typically shown is as like a mounted warrior in shining armor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know what you mean, like the wispy, like um yeah but in the in the same way that like pop culture references of Joan of, Joan of Arc show her virtue as her power that's also like what the point of Eowyn is it's it's her virtue and her maintaining her virtue despite being othered by her people for what she wants that gives her power yeah I like it's it which is in itself like problematic when you boil it down to like her marginalization is what gives her power yeah but that's like that's what your oppression is what keeps you strong, Eowyn. Yeah, but that's <laughs> like that's when you when you peel everything back, that's kind of what's buried somewhere in the foundation of how Eowyn is portrayed. Yeah. But is also and is also born of bitterness for Tolkien being like, well, this should have been the payoff to the line of Macbeth. Uh, no man born of woman. Well, what about a woman born of woman? Coward. Uh I can fix Shakespeare. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah. No. Like um I um I I I love these movies. I really do. And and um I really I really like this story. Um but I also am generally not typically a fan of very stark black and white um like light versus um forces of darkness like even even that even the way we describe good and evil is rooted in problematic language so like 
I don't know. But I, it's, I don't know. You can love something and still poke, poke like, have oh. problems with it. Oh, yeah, 100%. It's like, um, it's like, she doesn't like these movies. Bitch. Being, being a, a near lifelong fan of both uh, anime and pro wrestling, I'm used to having to like, <laughs> I, I'm used to having to reckon with problematic things in the in the media. I yeah, enjoy. yeah, but I think it's interesting, like, because clearly he's being he's influenced by his um his oh um, yeah his Catholicism his personal theology yeah yeah one hundred percent like I I think that there's there's all kinds of problematic things I I didn't even know and we talked about it in the first season of this I didn't know swarthy was like a word rooted in racism yeah yeah I thought it just meant like a callous, hard-handed, like, coastal person. No, nope, no. Nope. It's explicitly, like, a darker complexion. Yeah, see, I never I never knew that. I think that this book, I think that these books is literally the only time I've ever seen the word written and not said. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, like, the only thing I can really think of. Um, They use it a lot in, um, like, uh, Victorian literature mm. to describe, like, people's faces and stuff yeah I, I i literally always thought it meant like tough and kind of ugly like, <laughs> just like me no, because <laughs> that's what it always like without knowing where the word came from that's what it always felt like the context was trying to say mm. yeah see um so the the screen is paused on this bird and i i feel bad for this bird yeah uh do you want to do you want to you want to feel bad about something else uh sam yeah, Sam. Yeah, okay. This, this this fall down the stairs I yeah. referenced immediately. When you're watching this fall down the stairs, when the camera is looking up the stairs at him before he takes the fall, you can clearly see that it's not Sean Astin. Mm. That's a stuntman. And the stuntman really took that tumble. Oh my god. There's a real fall by the stuntman. I mean, if anyone's going to fall, I uh, guess. Like... Right. Those are some steep stairs. Wow. It's a terrible thing to. That looks like a terrible thing to fall down. Yikes! And there's whether slippery. you know what you're doing or not. Yeah, 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 for sure. My first instinct when um, Sam falls isn't like, "Oh, poor Sam!" It's, "Oh no, the pans!" Like the pans. <laughs> Talking about sound sound design, they never forget the possibility. No, pans. the pans. No. Um, I don't know if they have. If they have, we've probably pointed it out before because it's such a it's such a thing that has to be part of sound design with Sam. Yeah. I don't actually know that they do it here. Um, but those poor pants. <laughs> His poor knees. His poor everything. Poor everything. Sam. His face. Yeah. I like that, um, because we haven't seen Sam in a while. No. I mean we haven't seen Frodo in a while either, but um I mean, it's less, more recent than Sam. It's less than one minute after his name is invoked. Yeah, by Frodo. yeah, yeah. That's what I was saying. Like, I like that Frodo, um, you know, is remembering how terribly he treated Sam, and then we cut to Sam in a terrible state. Yeah, we cut to Sam just in time to watch him fall down the stairs, kicking him while he's down. Oh, you never answered my question. Do you think there's baby spiders here? Maybe. Like tiny, like, you know, in, um, in Harry Potter, um. All the spiders come to Aragog. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, no, it's not all the spiders come to Aragog. It's 
the spiders in the castle are leaving because of the basilisk. Um, but but they do they do go but, to Aragog. No, but no, right, but Aragog has is surrounded by his brood. Yeah. So, first of all, where was the lady spider that bred with Aragog? She should be bigger, dude. I think Aragog is actually a, a lady spider. Maybe a female spider. I mean, no, the Aragog, voice is like. Also, I mean, Hagrid calls it a he, and like Hagrid should know. I guess he's he's the one that knows about monsters. Yeah, that's that's literally his. Yeah, job. I know it's his job description, dude. Nothing in Harry Potter makes sense. <laughs> right, time travel just invalidates so. We Whatever. Just don't think about it. Just don't. <laughs> Just don't think about it too hard. When you think about it too hard, you get cursed child, and we saw how that. <laughs> Just leave it well enough alone. Oh God. J.K. Rowling never wanted to bring it up again. Whatever. Let's not bring up the time travel again, dude. She's just causes more problems, much like her own Twitter feed. Uh-huh. Constantly. Yeah. It's like every six months. Um. But yeah, poor Sam. Poor Sam. Then he sees the Lumbus bread, and he starts to get this slow realization of what happened. Just this slow bubbling up of emotion. Well, I I think that bleeds into the next minute more. Yeah. I mean, we see this initial look of confusion, and then sadness as this minute ends. Mm-hmm. And then he starts to look up the stairs right in the last frame of this minute. Mm-hmm. So we, he's going on this. He's figuring it out. The wheels are turning in, in poor little Sam Gamgee's head. Yep. Sam Gam. Sam Gam. <laughs> yeah, I don't really... Uh, this this whole like scene, I guess because we've left the cave, it's a good time to also mention that they, the, the webbing is made from two polymers that have to be heated to almost boiling to get them to bind and get to this consistency when they <laughs> cool down. <laughs> so this this was a lot like a like a big process to do to make all this webbing and they made tons and tons and tons of it. They had to, they have to get it to boiling and then pour it over water into strips to get the webbing and then stretch it over stuff. Ew, that's so gross. Which, and then they were, they had to, to keep it looking the way it did and keep the set dressed right. They had to keep re-wetting the webs yeah. that were on the set. They're like misting them moisturizing me moisturize me <laughs> so not only were they just sticky from what they are they were actively keeping them wet ew, ew it's so gross oh uh, this is my biggest regret this 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 stretch this this uh i can't <laughs> nope it's a good thing we, we took a break before doing this oh, God. before coming into this i'm part gonna of the take movie. another break right now <laughs> She love big scary spider. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to get away from big scary spiders, uh, I guess you can listen to some other podcasts on dueling genre, specifically some non movies by minute ones like the protagonist podcast, Doctor's Companion. Although there are also Doctor Who episodes about spiders, so maybe avoid those. Oh, we haven't covered. Um, we haven't covered arguably like the best spider one. because oh. that's the last part we won. You can also check out Tales from the Short Box, a uh, new a newer show about. I think they're comic back, books. yeah. Um, also check out the backlog of 
Immunities, Geek by Night, Countdown to Infinity. Go check out all those. Well, um, for Geek by Night, we're re-releasing the episodes into more um, easily digestible chunks. Yeah. Um, Scott is re-editing them into like 20, 30 minute bite-sized episodes as opposed to like the hour and a half, two hour long behemoths that they were um, in the lead up to um, hope, hopefully, I don't know when we're going to be releasing the um, uh, series finale episodes, um, but we've also been doing like roundtable, like commentary retrospective episodes. Um, that... On those original cut episodes? On like the content of the original cut episodes? What do you mean? The The original length ones, like talking about those ones? Oh yeah, like the story arcs. So yeah, yeah. um, and those are those are fun and interesting if you like the show, I guess. So if you haven't listened to the the show yet, um, I'm very proud of the work that all of our actors and all of our writers and it's really good. You know, I guess myself and Scott and Nick have give done. yourself more credit. So thanks. sound more confident in giving yourself more credit. Yeah, but I'm bad at that because it's good. Thanks. We'll uh, we'll be back tomorrow to talk more about this disgusting, terrible place. I don't want to find somebody else, man. No, I'm. I know I'm like Sam, but like get a golem for this week, maybe. <laughs> Bye. Bye.